Hey, Genesis 49 this morning, Genesis chapter 49. <clears throat> Genesis 49, and we're just going to read from verse 14. Genesis 49, verse 14. <clears throat> it says, Issachar is a strong ass, couching down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we are very thankful that Lord, we are able to be here today uh, and to gather and worship you in song and come around your word. Lord, I pray that this morning uh, you would just teach us and instruct us through your word. That, Lord, you would give me wisdom and guidance now as I speak, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts this morning. And that, Lord, you would uh, challenge us this morning, bless us, refresh us uh, through your word. And may, Lord, we leave this morning singing uh, your praises and giving all glory to your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Genesis chapter 49, and we've been considering uh, this prophetic word from the Lord concerning each of the sons of Jacob. And so we've been going through it, looking at each prophecy and looking at the fulfillment of that prophecy. And of course, last Sunday evening, we looked at verse 13, uh, which was a relatively short prophecy concerning Zebulun. Uh, we read there in verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. This is a relatively short prophecy concerning Zebulun. Uh, one of the lesser known sons of Jacob. And, and we saw that until this point, he'd sort of been going in order of each of the sons age. But with Zebulun, he jumped from Judah, his fourth son, to his tenth son. And so he's sort of gone out of order now uh, to his tenth son. And as I said, Zebulun was a relatively unknown son. And, and the prophetic word that's given to us there in verse 13 is really all that is said about him as an individual uh, in the book of Genesis after his birth. And we saw that the prophetic word there is really uh, concerning the future dwelling of his tribe, uh, the tribe bearing his name. And it declares that they will have a border that stretches from the, the coast of the Mediterranean to the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And they would have port cities on both those coasts. They would be mariners, they would be merchants trading at sea, and that their border would extend unto the region of Sidon. And and we looked last Sunday and saw how that was all perfectly fulfilled and demonstrated yet again that the truthfulness of God's word and the omniscience of our God. And this morning now we come to yet another uh, lesser known son, Issachar, recorded for us here in verses 14 and 15. And Issachar is actually Zebulun's younger brother. He is the ninth son of Jacob and Leah's fifth son. Uh, and so if you go back quickly to Genesis 30, let's just go back and read of his birth. Genesis chapter 30. <clears throat> Genesis 30 verse 17. It says, And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived, and bare Jacob the fifth son, 
And Leah said, God hath given me my hire, because I've given my maiden to my husband, and she called his name Issachar. And so Leah had been barren, of course, and we talked about this last Sunday, and she'd been barren for a number of years. Uh, when God finally hearkened unto her, and she conceived, and she bore Issachar, and then Zebulun uh, after that. And Issachar's name means reward or wages. And he's given this name because Leah considered him to be a reward from the Lord uh, for the deal that she had made with her sister. If you look there in chapter 30, verse 14, it says, And Reuben <coughs> went in the days of, of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy sons mandrakes. And she said unto her, it is, is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And wouldest thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with thee tonight, for thy son's mandrakes. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out unto him, and said, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And so she considered him to be a reward uh, from the Lord for uh, her patience over those years, and, and for her prayers now being answered, she considered that Issachar was the reward from God. And similar to what we saw last week with Zebulun, after his birth, Issachar is not really mentioned. You know, we don't really learn anything about him as an individual until we come to these two verses here in chapter 49. And the prophecy given here in these two verses concerning him is understood in um, two different ways, if you like, from two different perspectives and two completely different perspectives. Some interpret uh, this prophecy to have a negative connotation to it, a negative meaning, while others understand it to be positive. One commentator wrote this, uh, Many of the words in these two verses are so obscure that translations from, Hebrew, from the Hebrew vary widely. This has led commentators to come to one of two conclusions. On the one hand, some believe these words should be translated to paint a negative picture. On the other hand, the others see a positive picture. So the point is, the prophecy before us this morning is not easy to understand. It's actually very difficult to understand, and I've had a, a long week studying and trying to figure out uh, what it means and what the biblical uh, understanding of the passage is. And so we're going to do our best this morning to give a biblical understanding. And I want to do that by giving both interpretations of the passage. And so notice will be, first of all, the negative interpretation of the passage, the negative interpretation. Let's just read verse 14 again. It says, Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens, and he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. And so Jacob begins this prophecy by declaring that Issachar is a strong ass or a strong donkey. And you know, straight away, looking at this from a Western point of view, this doesn't seem to be very positive, does it? You know, looking at it through our Western eyes, this seems to be a negative. I mean, in the Western world, if you call someone a donkey, it's not a nice thing. It's not considered to be a compliment. You know, donkeys are viewed as being ignorant and, and stupid. And so effectively, it's a metaphor for stupidity, isn't it? 
Okay, if you call someone a donkey, if you call someone an ass, you are saying they are stupid. And so it's perhaps because of that preconceived idea of a donkey that some have chosen to view this metaphor from a completely negative understanding, a negative light, if you like. Uh, and so they see this idea of Issachar being a donkey to be a criticism of the tribe's character. And in particular here, we're told that Jacob declares them to be a strong ass, a strong donkey. And the word strong here suggests that they will end up being a, a large tribe and, and therefore a tribe of great strength. And we know from Numbers chapter 26 that this came true. Okay, when the, the tribes arrived at the land of Canaan and they're about to enter in, they numbered the tribes. And in Numbers 26 there, Issachar is the third largest tribe. And so they did indeed end up being a tribe of considerable size and a tribe of great strength. But if you look at this metaphor in a negative point of view, this reference to their strength here is understood to mean that even though they are a strong tribe, they will refuse to use it. Even though they're strong, they will not make use of that strength. They will instead end up being like a donkey couching down between two burdens. Okay, verse 14, Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. And so those with a negative understanding of the verse, they, they see this image of the donkey here, couching down with the, the burden on its back and refusing to stand up, refusing to budge, refusing to move. It's, it's given up. It's just lying there with the burden on its back and it has to be forced to get up and to move on. It has to be forced to act. And so the suggestion is that even though Issachar will be strong, Issachar will be docile and lazy. It will be a docile and lazy tribe. And some commentators have gone even further and they suggest that the end of the verse should actually be translated differently. They suggest that instead of the word burdens, it should be translated sheepfolds. Okay, so it says uh, Issachar is a strong ouch couching down between two sheepfolds. And this is a translation that uh, does fit the Hebrew word. Okay? And it's a translation that actually adds to the idea of laziness. We see the Hebrew word translated this way in Judges chapter 5. So just turn over there. <coughs> Judges 5 and verse 16. <coughs> It says, Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben there were great searchings of hearts. Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds? It's the same Hebrew word and it's translated here as sheepfolds. And it's translated in this way here to refer to the fact that Reuben remained at home and didn't come to the battle when they were called. And so one commentator noted this, he said, to dwell among the sheepfolds is a traditional expression for one who refrains from participating in battle. And so this expression becomes a sharp rebuke of the tribe for being a coward. Okay, so if you translate it this way, it adds to this whole idea that they're, they're strong but they're lazy. And more than that, they're cowards. They chose to stay among the sheepfolds, they refused to come out and aid their brethren, they refuse to fight back. 
And so when you view the passage in this way, it all becomes a very sharp rebuke of the tribe of Issachar, declaring that they'll be strong, but they'll be lazy cowards. And this negative picture is then carried over into verse 15, where we see how that laziness, how that cowardness will manifest itself, if you like, once they're in the land. Okay, verse 15 says, And he saw that rest was good, and that, uh, sorry, in the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. So here, Jacob declares that, you know, that Issachar, upon seeing their lands, seeing the allotment God gave them, seeing the goodness of it, the pleasure of it, they will be content just to enjoy it. They'll be just be happy that they're there. They won't care in what circumstances they're there. They'll just be happy to be there, content to just enjoy it, even if that means giving up their freedoms. You see, the idea is that they'll not fight for their land. They'll not uh, fight back because they're strong, lazy cowards. They won't fight. They won't fight for their freedom, for their independence. They will not push out the Canaanites, but instead they will become content to be servants unto tribute. As it says there in verse 15, And he saw that rest was good, and the land that was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. And so those with a negative understanding, they read this part, servants unto tribute, and basically read slaves. That they will become a tribe of slaves. Okay? That they're, they're content that they're in the land, but they won't care that they're pressed into servitude at the hands of others. Bearing the burden of, for others, they're too lazy, they're too cowardly to rise up and fight for the land that God has given them. Or indeed to rise up and help others, the other tribes, when they call for it. And this is how many understand the prophecy. For instance, one commentator wrote this, He was strong, but through love of ease and pleasure became bound. Issachar was willing to sacrifice freedom and independence in order to enjoy creature comforts. Another wrote this, like a lazy ass, capable indeed of mighty efforts, but too self-satisfied to put forth much exertion, preferring rather to pay tribute than to leave his plowshare and cast aside his shepherd's crook to go into the tented field of war. And then one final commentator said this, Issachar was strong, but docile and lazy. He would enjoy the good land assigned to him, but would not strive for it. Therefore, eventually, he would be pressed into servitude and the mere bearing of burdens for his masters. Indeed, that's how a lot view the passage. They view it as a stern criticism of Issachar, of the tribe, of their character. You know, that they're lazy, that they're cowards, and they should have done much better. The problem with that understanding of the passage is that it doesn't fit what we know about Issachar from the rest of God's word. It doesn't fit the word of God. You see, when we read through from this point onwards, and we read passages about the tribe of Issachar, far from them being described as docile, lazy cowards, the tribe of Issachar is actually praised on numerous occasions for their courage. And they're praised for their willingness to come out unto the aid of others. For instance, go to Judges chapter 5 with me. <clears throat> Judges chapter 5. 
Judges 5 verse 15. It says, And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley. For the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of hearts. Judges chapter 5, we see the tribe of Issachar here is praised. Why? Because they answered the call of Deborah and Barak. They came to the fights. They came to the battle. Now, this is not the actions of a tribe that's lazy. This is not the actions of a tribe that is coward, uh, cowardice. This is a tribe who's willing to stand up and fight. Willing to stand up and fight for the independence, not only of themselves, but indeed to aid others. Now, here they're praised as being one of the few tribes who did show strength and courage. They're praised for their courage. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 16, Reuben is the one who's criticized. Verse 16 says, Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds? To hear the bleedings of the flocks. For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of hearts. It's Reuben who's criticized for staying among the sheepfolds, not Issachar. Reuben's the one who lacked courage, who stayed at home when he should have come to the battle. So Judges chapter 5 alone already shows the tribe of Issachar in a completely different light. It shows them as courageous, willing to stand up, willing to work, willing to fight. But that's not the only passage. Go to Judges chapter 10 with me. In Judges chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And after Abimelech there arose to defend Israel Tola, the son of Puah, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shemir, in Mount Ephraim, and he judged Israel twenty and three years, and died and was buried in Shemir. And so here we have Tola, one of the judges of Israel, and he's from the tribe of Issachar. And it's very clear that Tola here is a brave man, a man of courage, a man of strength. He's a, a strong leader of Israel. He judges the people for 23 years. And so again, we see a man from the tribe of Issachar and we see the complete opposite is true. We see courage, we see strength together. First Chronicles chapter 7, we then learn that there were many mighty men of valor attributed to the tribe of Issachar. Just turn over there. First Chronicles. In chapter 7 and verse 1, <clears throat> it says, Now the sons of Issachar were Tola and Puah and Jashab and Shimron four. And the sons of Tola, Azi and uh, Raphiah and uh, Jeriel and Jami and Jibsam and Shemuel, heads of their father's houses, uh, house, sorry, to wit of Tola, they were valiant men of might in their generations, whose number was in the days of David two and twenty thousand six hundred. Drop down to verse five. And their brethren among all the families of Issachar were valiant men of might, reckoned in all by their genealogies fourscore and seven thousand. So again, we have a record concerning Issachar, and it's not in a bad light. It's not a criticism. It talks about the fact that they are mighty men of valor. And there's a lot of them in each generation. It's not just one generation of mighty men. This is, this is what the tribe was known for, mighty men of valor. And then First Chronicles chapter 12, we again see them spoken of in a, 
a positive light. First Chronicles 12, verse 32. It says, And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were two hundred, and all their brethren were at their commandments. First Chronicles 12, this is the, the, the men coming to make David king. And among them is the children of Issachar, and they are praised here again. They're praised this time for their knowledge, their understanding of the times. The point is, in all of these passages, Issachar is not shown to be lazy cowards. In fact, the complete opposite is true. They are shown to be men of great courage and strength. The commentator Clark summed it up well. He, he said this, The cowardice that is attributed to this tribe certainly does not agree with the view in which they are exhibited in Scripture. It doesn't agree with the Word of God, and for me, that's enough. If it doesn't agree with the rest of the Word of God, then we're taking a passage out of context. We've misunderstood it. And so it seems very clear to me that the negative interpretation is wrong. It doesn't fit the Word of God. I believe personally that it's a positive, a positive prophecy here concerning the tribe. And so let's look secondly now at the positive interpretation of the passage. Verse 14 again. <clears throat> says, Issachar is a strong ass, couching down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. I think the first thing we need to do to understand this prophecy is to put aside our Western idea of a donkey. Remember, as I said, that's probably where they start from. We need to put that aside, and we need to look at it in the sense of Bible times. Because in Bible times, the donkey, or the ass, was viewed as a hard-working, noble beast. And therefore, there is nothing to suggest that this is a criticism. There's nothing in the Scriptures anywhere that suggests that calling someone a donkey is a criticism of their character. Rather, the Scriptures portray donkeys as useful and prized animals. One commentator said this, The ass is an important animal in Scripture. Sure-footed in rough terrain, able to survive on poor forage, the basic transportation of poorer people, bearer of burdens, and the like. You see, the point is they were useful creatures. Useful. They were used to bear burdens, to carry cargo between one place and the next. They were the basic form of transportation for the people. Now let's consider just a couple of passages. You know, for instance, think of Jacob's sons. When they went back and forth down to Egypt, what did they carry all their burdens on? It was on the donkey. It was on the, the back of ass. Go back to Genesis chapter 42 with me. It's just a couple of passages. We could look at a lot. But Genesis 42. <clears throat> and verse <clears throat> 25, it says, Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and restore every man's money into his sack, and to give them provision for the way, and thus he did unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn, and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he espied his money, for behold, it was in the sack's mouth. As they make, made these journeys back and forth down into Egypt and to you know, buy grain and then carry that cargo back, they did it with donkeys. That's what they used. 
That was their transportation. That's what they used to bear the burden. And so it's clear that even just from Jacob and his sons, that they viewed donkeys to be of great value, didn't they? They viewed them to be an important animal. They didn't view them as being stupid and lazy. You know, also in the New Testament, we see the Lord Jesus Christ himself made a triumphal entrance into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Let's just go and read that. Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and verse 1. It says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt, sorry, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they sat him thereon. Now we know this well, but here's Christ's triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, and here the, the donkey becomes a royal steed for the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we can look at many other passages where the donkey is spoken about in a positive light. But the point is that in the scriptures, they're never talking about with disdain. And so it should be clear to us, before anything else, just from that alone, that Jacob here is not criticizing them. He's not criticizing the tribe of Issachar when he calls them a donkey. This metaphor should be viewed in a positive light. We should start there before we read the rest of it. And so we see that Issachar is likened unto this noble, useful beast, and he is declared to be a strong ass. Now that word strong takes on a different meaning, doesn't it? You know, the word strong, as we said earlier, it speaks of their strength, their size as a tribe, and it did come true. But now that we understand the metaphor in a positive light, rather than it speaking of them wasting all of that strength and being lazy and docile, it speaks of them using that strength. It speaks of them being fit to handle the task that is given unto them. Issachar's strength as a tribe made them ready, able and willing to bear the burdens that were set upon them. In the phrase couching down between two burdens, we see this readiness, this readiness to rise up and bear the burden that's put upon them. You see, the phrase pitches the donkey here, resting from exertion. That's what that word couching down means. It means to rest from exertion. And so it's the idea that they've still got the burdens on their back, but they've sat down to rest. But not because they've given up, they're resting, ready to rise up and to continue the work. You see, nothing in this metaphor here speaks of them being docile and lazy. Rather, it declares them to be strong and declares their willingness to bear the burden, their willingness to work. They're pictured here as a strong faithful donkey who could be trusted to bear the burdens or the saddlebags if you like 
that were laid upon their back. And this is carried over, this thought is then carried over into verse 15. But we see Issachar now enter the land and they are content with the lot that God has given them and they rise up to work that land. Verse 15. And he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant and bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. <clears throat> the idea here when it says he saw that the rest sorry, he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant. The idea here is that when Ezekiel arrives in the land and they see the, the lot that God has given them, and they see how good it is, they see how pleasant it is, that they will respond using that land. You see, in the tribe of Ezekiel, the land that was given to them, they, they were given a very fertile region of land. They had part of the, the Valley of Jezreel and they had the Estralon Plain. Both of these are very fertile regions, perfect for agriculture. And so Jacob declares that when they see how good it is, they see how pleasant it is, that they will bow the shoulder to bear the burden. Okay, verse 15, And he saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear. They will see how good it is, they'll see how pleasant it is, and what will they do? Rise up and work. They'll labor, they'll bow the shoulder to bear the burden. They'll make good use of that which God has given to them. Rising up and laboring, working the land. They'll become a tribe of farmers, if you like. Working the land that God has given them. Wiersbe writes this, The people of Issachar were hard-working and devoted to the soil. They were content with their lot and made the most of it. You see, rather than this being a rebuke, this all speaks of their hard-working nature. It speaks of their willingness to bear the burden of agriculture, supplying not only for themselves, but in a sense supplying for the nation as well, the needs of the nation. And this is seen in the words at the end of the verse, and became a servant unto tribute. Now, instead of this speaking of them becoming slaves, it speaks of the fact that, you know, as a tribe of agriculture, thriving, producing the fruits of the earth, they're naturally going to pay much in tribute unto the king, under the kings of Israel. Henry writes this, Issachar submitted to two burdens, tillage and tribute. It was a tribe that took pains and thriving thereby was called upon for rent and taxes. You see, Issachar is a tribe that would patiently and contently bear both of those burdens. The burden of laboring in the field and the burden of greater taxes as a result. You see, far from this prophecy being one of rebuke, criticizing them for being strong but lazy cowards, it's the very opposite. It's a prophecy that speaks of their hard-working nature, their willingness to bear the burden. It's a prophecy that praises the tribe rather than criticizes. One commentator summed it up well. It's, he said, it appears that they were a laborious, hardy, valiant tribe, patient in labor and invincible in war, bearing both these burdens with great constancy whenever it was necessary. It sums it up well. This is what the tribe was, a hard-working tribe. You know, as we consider the prophecy this morning, as we consider Issachar, we see an example for us as believers, do we not? 
You know, God has given each of us a, a lot, if you like, a, a place of service, a place of ministry. And like Issachar, we need to bow the shoulder to bear the burden. Get to the work that God has given unto us. Be willing to rise up and make good use of that which God has given us, the, the place of ministry and the talents that God has given us. Rise up and make good use of that to his glory. You know, it also speaks of us learning to be content with the lot that God has given us as well. The tribe of Issachar was content with what God gave them. They were a tribe that had to work hard, but they were content with their lots. You know, the New Testament speaks about us being content, doesn't it? Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Be content with such things as ye have. As Christians, we're called upon to be content with what God has given unto us. Not just the material things, but the place of ministry that God has given us. The talents that he has given unto us. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 declares, But godliness with contentment is great gain. The two go together. Godliness and contentment. You see, God calls upon us as believers to be content and to faithfully labor for him. You know, not to look around at the portion of others which at times we're tempted to do, aren't we? We want to look at what, what they've got. What's their allotment? You know, that's the eyes of covetousness. Instead, we are to be content with where God has placed us. Be content and patiently work until he comes, knowing that our labor is not in vain. First Corinthians 15, let's just turn there. <clears throat> First Corinthians 15 and verse 58. <clears throat> it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, we have been called to work, haven't we? Called to labor for the Lord, and he's given us each our little, our plots, our area of ministry. And we need to patiently and contently labor until he comes, knowing that that labor is not in vain. Love may be encouraged this morning by the tribe of Issachar. Not a strong, lazy tribe. No, they were a strong and faithful, hard-working tribe. May we be like Issachar and be faithful where God has placed us and labor to bring glory to his name. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we do thank you for the tribe of Issachar and the example that they are unto us, Lord, their willingness to bear the burdens that you placed upon them, to, Lord, work uh, the lot, the region you gave them, and to do it to your glory. Lord, may we as believers be hard-working for you. May we rise up and serve you in the place of ministry you've given us and use those talents you've given us. Lord, help us not to uh, cast our eyes on what others have, but, Lord, be content and faithfully serve you. Lord, may you bless now as we close, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.